right fitting is about bad bosses, not bad employees. And I think we are putting a huge emphasis on and it, some of the publications, and there's so much media and attention on this term. We're putting a huge focus on the employees. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Welcome back to the Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Coke, and today we have a very, very special guest. Her name is Lyndall Larkin, and Lyndall happens to be a former boss of mine and someone who I've just really looked up to, has not only become a really great friend to me, but also a really great mentor. She's someone, whenever I'm having questions on leadership or coaching or you know HR topics, she's like my first go-to, and I'm just so grateful that we have developed that type of relationship and that she's also on the show today. And Lyndall, to give you a little background about who she is, she's an accomplished and passionate leadership development expert and executive coach. She spent over 20 years as an HR executive in diverse industries ranging from early and mid-stage tech startups to luxury hospitality and global retail. As a high energy and collaborative thought partner, Lyndall's passion is supporting organizations to build ready now leaders with deliberate strategies, systems, and skills. She currently does this by supporting founders, CEOs, and the entire C-suite with leadership team programming and results-focused executive coaching. She also leads mastermind groups focused on supporting, celebrating, and accelerating the development of women leaders. She's part of really cool mastermind groups and really does some awesome coaching there. Um, She has a bachelor's degree from the University of Washington, and she received her executive coach training from CTI. She's also certified in Myers-Briggs, Seven Habits, and Corn Fairy Leadership. Holy cow. She's done all of the different trainings, so she totally knows her stuff. She lives in LA, and she does all of this coaching and support one-on-one, and it can also come into businesses. So if you want to connect with her, the best way to do so is on LinkedIn, which we'll link in the show notes, or via email, which is on her website, which we'll link in the show notes. Today, we are diving into all things quiet quitting, what it actually is, how to diagnose it within your team, and tips you can do today to really help your team become engaged and make sure your team is high performing. So without further ado, let's dive in with Lyndall. Lyndall, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's a long time coming. And welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have yet another former boss to talk to on the show. I always find it so funny that my bosses like me enough to want to come and talk to me on a, on a podcast. <laughs> oh, thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Of course. So let's give listeners a little bit of a background on what you've done in the past and what what do you do now? Like give us like cliff notes of your background and, and, and what you do now for businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a leadership development expert and executive coach, founder and principal of Larkin Leadership, as you know. And uh, my background, um, I have been in, I've been an HR executive for over 20 years. And it's sort of funny because you and I have talked about this. At some point, I started feeling like that was a really long time. And 
that he's saying and going, oh, oh, but what that means is a whole lot of experience. And, uh, and so I started out my career in the hospitality sector, working with Fairmont and Four Seasons Hotels. And then I moved into a division of LVMH. So I've worked with a number of multinational corporations and also with early and mid-stage startups and a little bit of everything in between. And I find it interesting that I think every industry and every every founder CEO tends to believe that their their industry and their team um, are unique. And I am often about finding the similarities with individuals and with leaders and building on that. And so I support organizations to cultivate ready now leaders. And we really focus on designing deliberate strategies and systems and skills to do so. Amazing. And when you were working, you know, at some of these organizations in-house previously, before you started like in, in more head of HR roles and kind of leading organizations on the HR side, you really cut your teeth in the training and development side um, for a very long time. And I find that so awesome in such an area where I love, but don't have a lot of hands-on experience. And that's really where you cut your teeth in the HR profession and how you came up, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. So I started out in executive development with Fairmont Hotels and Resorts. And fortunately, at the time, I had the opportunity to literally travel the world with both Fairmont and Four Seasons and do leadership development programming and executive coaching around the world and open new properties, work with some of our properties in the Middle East. Um, I was based in Canada at the time. So I really had a broad perspective of some of the cultural aspects of it, as well as just the incredible diversity of leadership and what works and what transcends location and, and some of the challenges. Mm -hmm. I did my first coach training back in 2002 with the Coaches Training Institute. You're and an OG. Most, yeah, I am. <laughs> and, uh, and then most recently, I did a certification with the Asian Leadership Institute uh, in Chiang Mai, Thailand in 2019. And so it's been really fun to bridge those um, sort of formalized trainings with the practical experience that's come from being both in-house as well as on the external side. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, lots of listeners on this podcast are often small business owners, maybe entrepreneurs hiring for the first time, and, and maybe even larger, larger, you know, owners of larger businesses. I guess I'm curious, and I know I didn't prep you for this question beforehand, so we'll see how it goes, but... Um, are there similarities? So a lot of this podcast is like, oh crap, I'm the boss. What do I do now? And you mentioned there's a lot more similarities across teams and, and companies and, and founders. Like what are some of the biggest things that you see CEOs, founders, leaders struggle with that are very common, no matter if you're a larger company or a smaller company, tech, non-tech, like, are there some similarities of things that people really struggle with when they step into that leadership seat? Yes, <laughs> um, absolutely. That's a, it's a really good question. And I think one of the most common sounds, you know, and there's, there's common common sense and common practice, and those don't always go together. And mm. so communication is one of those. And communication is a gigantic umbrella. It covers everything from the way we communicate difficult information, and that's probably the most um, common challenge, truly, yeah. at any level of an organization. I see leaders that have been in 
in the business world for 20 plus years and still struggle to to give constructive feedback that is meaningful, that's concise, um, that are still a little bit averse to confrontation, um, that we tend to, and there was just a great article um, that I, I read about how we tend to think that we're over communicating something as, as executive teams, as leaders, and the research continues to support that when you feel like you are over communicating, you're probably just about right at getting the message out. Yes. And so there's, there's a lot around the communication piece in particular. And how do we give praise? How do we recognize positive? How do we communicate strategy? How do we ensure that we've got transparency in sometimes admitting our, our vulnerabilities and our opportunities? And those sometimes can be the greatest strength of a leader. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to see, especially during the pandemic, there was all of this uncertainty and leaders put this enormous pressure in all sizes of organizations, they put this pressure on themselves to feel like they needed to have all the answers. And it was such a powerful scenario of having no real answers. Yeah. And the leaders that were, were demonstrating it most effectively were those that could say, here's what I do now, and here's what I don't know, and here's how I'll keep you informed. And so I think it, it also goes back to this sort of authenticity and finding you know, there's, we do with my executive coaching clients, we do a lot of values-based work and identifying our own values and how and who do you want to be as a leader? How does that get expressed in the way that you interact with your team? And I I think that is consistent across the range of different types of organizations and and sizes and and ages of companies, if you will. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you brought those up because I just recorded podcast episodes on a lot of those things. So if (laughs) listeners want to go back and listen to them, they sure can. But obviously digging in deeper with you and doing the one-on-one work is so critical. And I love that you bring up like creating your own set of core core values as a leader, as a human. And I think as a business owner, you're like, okay, I need core values for my business. And some, I wonder if sometimes people establish core values for their business as if like they're their own and they can be different and that's okay. Um, and it's really, um, that's really a great exercise to, to work, to walk through as a, anyone in the workforce. I think anyone in general should do that. Don't you think? Well, in the work, when you talk about the work with hiring and hiring school, I find that sometimes, and, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more with quiet quitting, that sometimes that that disengagement of an employee is a misalignment to the values in the organization. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing that homework to say, what's really important to me? And that can change and evolve over time as different experiences and phases and seasons of our life happen. Those values may shift mm-hmm. in the way that they are prioritized or the way that they're expressed. But it's absolutely, I would suggest, really valuable to understand for yourself what is valuable. It doesn't have to be identical, but aligning that with an organization will certainly, I think in in all cases I've seen, align to a higher level of engagement Mm -hmm. and connectivity to that organization and what they do. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we are going to switch gears a little bit and move into the, the the topic of quiet quitting because it's definitely been all the rage. It's I don't know if rage is the right word, but it's been a lot of it's a headline, right? Yeah. And um, I would love to to talk to you a bit about that and unpack, you know, what what you think it is and how how does an organization ensure they have a a engaged workforce? So. Let's first like dive into like, what is your opinion on 
quiet quitting? Like, how would you define it? And <laughs> let's start there. Cause I know I can probably, you could probably go pretty deep. So we'll start with how would you define quiet quitting? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I laugh because when we, when we initially talked about this podcast, I think I said, um, Oh, I have a line. It's quiet quitting is BS. And then I read this Harvard. You can say bullshit. Article. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, so quiet quitting is bullshit. Um, but Harvard Business Review said it even a little bit more articulately, surprisingly, um, than that. And they had an article at the end of August when they said quiet quitting is about bad bosses, not bad employees. And I think we are putting a huge emphasis um, in the, some of the publications, and there's so much media and attention on this term, we're putting a huge focus on the employees. And while I'm stuck with quiet quitters, and while I would suggest that there, <laughs> there is absolutely a place when we think about hiring, right, and thinking about um, getting the top talent, we're not just hiring for for a warm body, we're not hiring for a pulse, we've got to get the right talent in there. When we get the right talent in there, and that's obviously hiring school and all of the aspects of what the meaningful work you're doing with organizations, when we get the right talent in there, it's now our responsibility as leaders to engage that talent. So they're not scaling back and saying, you know, and there's a lot of different definitions around quiet quitting of, well, it's, it's no longer going above and beyond. Um, versus some of the more detrimental kind of descriptions of I'm, I'm barely eking by, right? If my yeah. boss doesn't notice that I'm online, then I'm, I'm off doing whatever else that, you know, is not work because I need the health insurance, but wow, I'm sure not going to give any extra. And I, I think it's easy to point fingers. I think where the real um, opportunity is, is for leaders to say, how did we get here? What did we do? And what can we do to address and remedy this immediately? Mm -hmm. I'm curious. Can you think of a time when you were a quiet quitter? I can think of a time I was <laughs> oh. before it was a word. <laughs> Ooh, tell me about yours. Tell me about yours. Well, I was on the verge of it, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, it was actually at the company we worked at together right before you joined, mm. right before you joined. Mm -hmm. I was so frustrated with what I had stepped into. I'm going to tread lightly because I don't want to totally back. I, I don't want to go in too negative, but it was a hard, it was a hard situation to be in. And I felt like I was, I was recruiting talent to come work at this organization. And I felt I was starting to feel very misaligned and I'm really good at selling people. And I felt like I was selling people on an opportunity that wasn't actually true and it was really hard for me. Um, and so I was like, okay. So I had to like work myself through it, right? And I remember doing that and thinking, okay, Jackie, if you're going to stay here, you got to figure out a way how to get, you, you have to figure out a way to get on board with this. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, I can either be a part of the solution of making this a great place to work, or I can be a part of not, not be a part of it and leave and find a new job. And I decided to do the, that, right. Be a part of the solution. And then that's when you came in and things were starting to get better. So thank you for that. But I do remember that moment personally, where I was kind of in that position. And I think, um, humanizing that a bit for, for mm -hmm. listeners, like it's hard sometimes. And, and I don't know. So that's just an example. I don't really know where to take that, but that would be an example of a time in my career where it was challenging for me a hundred percent. 
I think the closest I have been has also been a, a similar situation, different company, but it was where I felt very misaligned to the values. Mm-hmm. And that um, it was several years ago, and it actually, some of the work that I do with my individual clients stemmed from that, right? Because sometimes our, our most challenging experiences are the, are the greatest learnings. And 100%. it was a scenario where I felt very misaligned, not necessarily to the organization's values, but to, to my manager's values and, and our, our senior leadership. I too am, am being very broad for, <laughs> and, and ambiguous for a reason, but, uh, but I, it, I, I wasn't aligned with the individuals that I was working most closely with. And I think probably in any executive role, but certainly in a, in a senior people role, um, it's imperative that for me at least to feel aligned and, and similar to what you said that you're yeah. representing um, something that you actually believe in. Yeah. And, sure. um, you know, I would, uh, I would also say when we, when we think about the last two and a half years, I think that quiet quitting in many ways is a natural result. We hear so much about the stress, the burnout. I think that many leaders and many organizations have sometimes with, um, so many things to focus on during the pandemic, they deprioritized people and rightly or wrongly. So the result is now this quiet quitting scenario of burnout, of disengagement, of disconnect. And I, I don't believe it's a solution. And we're talking to leaders and organizations today, but I, I also would say um, that from, from an employee standpoint, um, I would suggest it's a horrible idea, really. Um, you talked about the values and and doing you know meaningful work. I from from my own core values, I firmly believe that life is too short to um, to to not aspire to meaningful work, to not get out of bed excited for what we're doing. And you and I both know that doesn't happen every single day, but the majority of days, it's important that that's that I'm working toward that. Mm-hmm. And and I would suggest for any employee at any level. Um, that, that there is an opportunity to, to aspire to that, to seek that. Um, I also feel that quiet quitting is going to be, and probably is already an especially negative impact for our mar- marginalized communities and people. Um, when we look at, for example, women and BIPOC employees, they're already underrepresented in the C-suite, right? Latest statistic that I saw was that C-suite is 83% male and 75% white. The C-suite is where you can affect change. It's where we have the most opportunity as leaders to make an impact, not only in the business case of the organization, but in the culture, in the values. And I firmly believe that quiet quitting is not going to get anyone to the C-suite. Yeah. So when you're saying it's not a good idea, you're talking to the employee who might be listening, who's considering just maybe riding it out for a little bit, collecting the paycheck and not not taking, like not doing something about being unhappy Mm -hmm. is who you're talking to. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's some of the leaders listening too. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I was in a leadership role when I felt that way and I don't think it's anything new though. Like I really don't think it's something like this has been going on forever. Like it's not like it's anything new. And, um, I think it just became a buzzword that people, are using. And I think there's a lot of, I mean, I don't go on LinkedIn much now because I just find it to be so frustrating that it's nothing but people complaining about their bosses and their managers and their companies. And 
I think everyone should be an entrepreneur before you can bitch. It's just like anyone should be a server, (laughs) like to go eat at a restaurant. Anyone should be a boss or an entrepreneur before you bitch and complain about your leadership team. But that's a whole nother topic. Um, So I just get so frustrated. Um, But I do agree with the fact that there's a lot of bad boss. I don't actually know. I don't agree. I don't think there's a lot of bad bosses. I think that there's a lot of people who get promoted who don't know who don't know what they're getting into and they don't have the support they need. I do not think there's lots of un, of intentional bad bosses. I don't think anyone moves in that seat to be a dick or to not be good. I think they're just not supported. Um personally. There's a lot of ill-equipped leaders. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it's their fault, right? I think it's 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 just what happens and there's not a lot of training and development out there for people to move into the leadership seat. And so they're learning on the fly. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of times leaders learn is on the fly. But I, what I'd love to dig into for the, as we kind of start to, to wrap, not wrap up, but move further into the quiet quitting is if you're a leader, do you think that there are signs that somebody is potentially disengaged at work? Like what signs can a leader look for to help I help catch it before they become so checked out there's no turning back. I think hmm, I think there's a lot of signs that I I personally think it goes back to communication. I would suggest in every size organization we should be having one-on-ones with our team members weekly. If we are truly having those one-on-ones and we're asking the right questions, which could be I appreciate this whole separate podcast <laughs> and we're understanding what's working for you, Jackie. What, what are you doing right now that you're not engaged in? What are the tasks that you, you dislike the most? Do I understand how you're spending your time? What's the most frustrating? If I could address one pain point for you, what, what would that be? And, and what would the impact of that be? If we are having those conversations, we are being, we are able to gather that information on a regular basis. Unfortunately, I think the physical signs that we see of quiet quitting, which are even more difficult in a dispersed remote workforce, right? That it might be, we've still got to dig in. I think when we start to really see those physical signs, um, we're generally too late. And it may be because it was the wrong hire to begin with, but often I would suggest the majority of the time, those, those individuals will come into an organization at this high level of engagement and what we do or don't do as leaders takes that and either builds on it or it deflates it. And by the time we see that, um, you know, and, and I, I'm hesitant to say that they're set behaviors because I think they're, I think it's, it's digging into those. So for example, if you're my team member and we're, we're online, we're working in a remote environment and I'm noticing that, that your do not disturb is on your Slack, for example, 90% of your day. I want to dig into that and understand why that could be a sign of quiet quitting. It's absolutely not entirely what, what that may mean. So I want to make sure that I'm asking those questions and that comes back to having the skills to have what may be a difficult conversation, because I would also like to understand the answer and I need to be able to receive and respond to that answer, which isn't always easy. So being able to sit down and say, Hey, Jackie, here's what I'm noticing. You know, you've missed the last three deadlines. Right? You're, 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 you're appearing. What I'm witnessing is that you're, you're offline the majority of your time. Tell me about that. I'm not accusatory. I'm seeking to understand. I'm curious. And so a part of the work I do both in group, um, you know, leadership programming as well as individually is how do you equip 
your leaders and yourself with those skills to have those types of conversations. Yeah. If I say you're off Slack and you're quiet quitting, what's going on? Well, <laughs> I did. That's why I laughed. Mad. I don't know if you saw me smirk. I was like, I did. so should a boss go, um, Lindell, are you quiet quitting? <laughs> like that is a terrible, or I guess, is, is that a terrible is. thing to say or ask? Yes, yes. Yes. And I think where we can come at it from a place of curiosity and genuinely seeking to understand as opposed to making the assumptions, right? Because it's very easy. And I want to hit on one, one piece around the assumption. What I hear a lot is, I, I'm going to use it the excuse, um, but I, I hear the generation excuse. And it's, I'm, I'm a Gen it. Xer, right? And it's, oh, it's those Gen Zs, those Gen Ys, and they're this, they're that. And, and while there are differences in behavior, 100%, um, I would suggest that there are more commonalities than there are differences. And I'll give you an example of that. There's ample research that supports that all of the generations tend to have family as one of their top values, their top priorities. Now, the definition of family has changed over the years. So many Gen Y and Gen Zs often will say that family is your chosen family. It's not strictly your spouse, your partner, and your children. Mm -hmm. However, that definition of family still becomes a priority and what that looks like. So for my grandfather, for my father, there were very gender specific roles, but also in the traditionalist and the boomer generation, they demonstrated that connection and that value of family by working harder, by working longer. We didn't take long weekends. That meant dad might not be home for dinner. And yet now that value of family is expressed differently. It's expressed by saying, absolutely, I'm going home for dinner, right? I pick yeah. my kid up at daycare every single day. I don't work on my weekends. I don't take late calls. You won't find me online at 10 o'clock at night because I'm putting my child to bed. I'm spending time with my partner. So I think when we can recognize that commonality, we can also then diffuse the finger pointing and kind of that blame of, oh, I'm stuck with this team that's all this or that. And I also hear it from the Gen Z and Ys that <laughs> I got a team of Gen Xers and they have different expectations and this is totally. hard. And, and so it, it goes both ways, but I, I think we've got to let go of that um, lack of responsibility as leaders, right? And it, it, we attribute it to something and then we wash our hands of it. So how yeah. do we take responsibility and say, okay, so here's where we're at. Now, what do, where do I have an opportunity to, mm -hmm. to have a positive effect on this? Totally. I actually just um, did a recorded a podcast about recognition, and I was um, really talking about uh, it, the the five languages of appreciation. It's basically the book that takes you know yes. the five love languages into the workplace, and they did studies and they found that across generations, everyone valued the they kind of had the same order in which they valued the different languages, which I found mm -hmm. to be interesting. Um, it was, I think. Everyone, no matter their their generation, valued words of affirmation higher the the first, and then I think it was quality time, and then it was I don't know I'd have to go back and go back and listen to the episode, but I found it really interesting that all of the generations valued the same thing in the same order, right? So mm -hmm. we do spend so much time thinking they're so different, and we're all the same, and it all just. I think what it actually comes down to is the mode of communications are so different. So how mm -hmm. younger generations want to get communicated with is different, but it's not the quality of it. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like 
the still the how the, how they want it and what they want to receive is still the same as older generations. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's delivered is different, I guess, is yeah. kind yes. of what I'm seeing. But yeah, absolutely, um, and fantastic with the languages of appreciation. I wholeheartedly, yes, agree. It was, it was, I find it so interesting. Um, What is your love language out of curiosity? (laughs) Oh, I am a words of affirmation girl. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm going to start upping that for you because I am not. I am acts of service. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) Oh, it's so interesting. I find that stuff to be so fascinating for sure. And And it, it goes, when we think about ourselves as leaders, right? It goes to customizing our approach for our employees. Right. And, mm-hmm. and not, not just saying, well, that's how I am. So Jackie, you're going to get your words because, because that's my, my language. And I am assuming that everyone else wants that same language. If I'm really mm-hmm. going to be effective, I've got to be able to, to customize that to, to my team, to the people in my world. Yeah. Well, if I could sum up our conversation, I would love, and I would love to have you maybe offer some other tips, but quiet quitting, I don't think it should be a, like a worrisome thing for you as a leader, but I do think that you should, it's a great reminder to get in what you talked about, get into regular communication with your team and try to be a good boss. Like you should, I don't think you should be worried about your team quiet quitting. I don't think you should think like, oh my, everyone, everyone who's a younger generation is, is not even trying. I don't like, I don't think you should generalize, but I do think you should take it as a reminder to communicate with your team and help them feel engaged, um, is, is what I'm gathering. And, um, is there anything else that you think is important for the entrepreneur listening, the business leader listening to know about quiet quitting, um, that we haven't discussed? Actually, I, I do. I've got, I've got three little quick steps that I would, I would recommend as, as immediate actions you could take. And I think you've hit on something when when you said that it's not something to be worried about because I, I see a lot of leaders treating it as a disease that sneaks up on you, right? Oh my gosh, I've just been diagnosed with quiet, a quiet quitter on my team. I didn't know it was coming. I didn't know how could we have prevented this. And I would suggest Do we need to wear masks? <laughs> no more masks. And so huge opportunity to, to recognize that and say, oh, the signs were all there, right? I may have chosen not to seek the diagnosis. It's there and it's been there for a while. And this is not new. It didn't just now suddenly we've identified a new strain of bad employees. It's quite but it look out, you know, it, it started in August. It didn't. Um, and so it I think the first thing is <laughs> for a new variant. Um, um, <laughs> but uh, um, we could go down that tangent for a while. But, um, but I think the first thing is, is really simple. And these are, these are intended to be three things that you could do immediately. You know, one is look in the mirror. And, and that means as a leader that you, you know, you talk about in the title of your podcast, right? Like, ah, now, now I'm here. So, yeah, we've got to be real with looking in the mirror and assessing what our role is in this and where we have opportunities. And, you know, a lot of times there's, you know, there's formal tools. I do a lot of 360, you know, formalized, you know, programming with my, my teams. I also talk to, to peers, to direct reports and get feedback and, and share that to help provide a well-rounded perspective of what's really happening. Um, we don't need we can, we can talk to our team. We can get input from our team. We've got to be willing to hear it and we've got to create that culture and environment, but it starts with us being willing and open to, to creating that self-awareness. Um, the next thing is aligning, um, our organizational values with our behaviors. A really simple example of this is it was working with an organization, um, several months ago now and, and one of their values was around community 
and they had a very clear kind of definition of what it meant to take part in their community and, and bringing their community along in, in their journey. And yet there was no behavior aligned to that. There was no, no opportunity, whether it was from a, a you know, fiscal side of, of collecting donations, donating as an organization, having volunteer days, volunteer time. And so in assessing what was happening and some of the challenges within the organization, there was this real disconnect where employees were saying, gosh, I, I came into this organization looking at these four values and saying, yeah, I really believe in this sense of community and I can't wait to get involved. And now I ask about that and it's like, oh yeah, we don't really do anything with that. That's just, you know, the word on the wall. <laughs> and and so it's 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 not easy, but it's simple. Align those those values and really have a clear look. What do those look like? How are those expressed in behaviors of the organization? And that starts at the top. It starts with the CEO founder, it starts with the executive team. And then finally communicate and connect. And this doesn't have to be difficult. I think. There are some incredible resources out there in terms of books and obviously podcasts, <clears throat> but um, but it also I think can feel really complex when we say, oh my gosh, I need I need to read these ten books and listen to this before I can communicate. We're we're humans. We communicate with other humans. Get to know your team. Connect. Understand what what's working for them. What engages them. What what gets them excited. What brought them into the organization. If they could spend their entire day doing one thing in the organization, what would it be? We may not be able to meet that need every single time, but understanding that and tapping into that is huge. It's also about communicating expectations. So I'll give you one last example before we go. Um, years ago, I, I had started. It was my first. Um, it was my first chief of people role. And um, I had been with a, a formal organization for several years where we were sort of a, a well-oiled machine as the HR team. I came into this new organization and I, I sort of went to some of the old behaviors that I had engaged in my formal organization. One of those was that I had this habit that I would be sitting, you know, maybe watching TV or reading a book later evening and I would get an idea and I would pull my phone up and I'd email my, my direct report, one of my team members and say, oh, Jackie, don't forget, you know, tomorrow let's do this. Or, hey, I'd like to start a program about this. Let's talk about this in the next one-on-one. -on -one. And in my mind, I was just getting it out of my mind. And in my former organization, my team knew that. So I go to this new company and thankfully, one of my team members very early on in our, I think it was our second one-on-one, -on -one, she said, so I have a question. I get emails sometimes from you at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, I'm often asleep at that time, but I have an alert set because you're my boss and I want to make sure I hear it and I respond. And, and sometimes it wakes my partner up. And, you know, is your expectation that I get up and open up my laptop and respond immediately? Or are you okay if I do it the next morning? And thank heaven she said that because it was such a realization to me that, ooh, I need to set, and I know we've got timers and we could do different things we can set on our email. But even in the most organic communication, there was an opportunity. And I went back to my team and we had a team meeting and I said, okay, a couple things. Like, here are some ground rules. If I need you urgently, I will call you. I will call your phone, right? If I am sending you an email, you know, there, I do not have the expectation that you are responding on a weekend. I am simply getting it out of my brain, right? And onto paper. And let's talk about it in the next one-on-one. -on -one. If it's urgent, you'll get a phone call. You'll get a text. Tell me how you'd like to be communicated with best. And we designed that together. But part of that communication, especially when we talk about boundaries, because I think boundaries are a huge piece of this quiet quitting. And there's opportunities on both sides, um, the employee and the employer, to set clear boundaries. I think that's a huge part of the communication as well. Yeah. Kudos to that team member for, for saying something to you, right? Like yeah. that's, that's a hard thing to say to your boss. Oh. Um, but also 
not. Like, I think we forget. It's like when we go to work, we forget that we're humans in relationships first. It's like (laughs) you become a robot. I don't know. It's just weird. Um, So that's awesome. Those are great tips. I mean, things that you should be doing long before quiet quitting became a topic. Like these are just, I don't want to say basics, but it's, they're freaking Mm -hmm. basics. They're foundational. These are foundational leadership tools when you have two employees, when you have 2,000 employees, when you have 20,000 employees. Exactly. Exactly. So super simple, but not easy tips. I love that um, distinction because so much of being a boss is simple, but not easy. Um, So thank (laughs) you so much for, for that. And thank you so much for being on the show. I would love to know, I know you're kind of doing your own thing now. Now I know you don't have employees, but you are your own boss. And so- I would love to know, have you had a, oh shit, I'm the boss now moment yet? Or, oh shit, I got to do that now moment in your own business yet? <laughs> well, I will tell you, I'm not the greatest boss to myself always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to give myself some weekends off and evenings off sometimes. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's recognizing that. So I think that has been one of my, um, you know what I, it is, is that I was programmed really early on that hard work equals results. And I have had to undo that for I would say the last decade, right? I I remember working in my first hotel job. It was an operations job. And the gentleman that worked with me, we were in a a rooms division role. I'll keep it vague and broad. And he literally would- That sounds really weird. Rooms division role. (laughs) We worked in the front office. (laughs) But he was, was, we were both in leadership roles, which meant we weren't always interfacing with the guests. We had desks with computers that we we were expected to do work on. And and our, our front office manager was someone that worked very long hours. And the person that sat next to me, my colleague, would um, would literally play solitaire on his computer for probably an hour and a half at the end of the day. He was done with all of his work, but he wanted the manager to see him still present and still there. And I think those types of experiences early on in my career led me down that path of thinking that more time sitting at my desk, more time in front of my computer is somehow getting better results. And it has been undoing that for a very long time, as well as helping my my teams when I was in-house and now helping my clients undo that and think about that differently with their teams. And I'll be honest, I still struggle with that, right? Yeah, yep. So that, my, that my boss moment. is difficult sometimes about that. <laughs> Your boss can be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just kidding. Um, well, awesome. Well, this is so helpful. I'm sure all the listeners are going to find a ton of value and hopefully walk away less scared about this being a rampant disease in their businesses. (laughs) So thanks so much for being on the show. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode and we'll chat with you next time.